Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times, Daddy, and hard times we have. Indeed, we are here to break down the last few days in the world of WWE, and that's exactly what we are going to do as we try to give you a bit of a reprieve from everything that is going on in the world. I know for a lot of people, professional wrestling allows you to take a step back from reality. And my goal is to allow getting over this week and every episode that we tape to be that for you. Of course, if you follow me on Twitter at Silverstein Adam, you know how I feel about everything that is going on. And if you follow my co-host Chris Vanini at Chris Vanini, well, you know what he thinks as well. We will leave that for Twitter. We will leave that for the news. But I think Chris will agree with me when I say to trust the journalists and experts uh, because it's important to understand exactly what's going on across the country. Yep, we, we see it, we acknowledge it, uh, we, we try to understand it, and we will continue to do so. For sure. And there is certainly there have been great things said online from Big E, uh, Mustafa Ali, Kevin Owens, a ton of wrestlers have spoken out. So I certainly encourage you, if you want to keep it in the wrestling world, to go to their Twitter feeds and see what they had to say. But this is about professional wrestling. This episode on Tuesday is about WWE. Before we get to that, be sure to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast, where we release each show as soon as it's published. And of course, I also chat about WWE, NXT, and AEW all week long. Be sure to hit us up on Apple Podcasts as well, and please drop that five-star rating and review. I actually saw a couple four-star reviews out there for pretty ridiculous reasons, which I might address on the show. And you can't do that when you know this podcast is all about the five. So with that, Chris, let's talk pro wrestling. And the way we do that on this show is by entering the main event. And it's rare that we start start a WWE edition of Getting Over by talking about SmackDown. But that is what we are going to do this week because the main angle on SmackDown was clearly the most talked about and controversial angle in all of pro wrestling over the last week. It was the Jeff Hardy, for lack of a better term, DUI angle. The show opens with Elias uh, being tended to by medical personnel, and apparently there has been a hit and run. They find a car that happens to have a bottle of alcohol in it. They soon thereafter find Jeff Hardy uh, injured on the ground very far away from the vehicle and smelling like the same alcohol that was in the car, even though it seemed like it was a completely unopened bottle. Um, But nevertheless, uh, this was a story that played out over the two-hour edition of SmackDown. And I think you saw people react to it viscerally right away. Not everyone, a couple people, Matt Hardy being one of them, although he kind of said it in a very undertoned way, um, that were angry that WWE was using Jeff Hardy's real-life battle with substances, this in this case being alcohol, and his his penchant for DUIs, which I believe he's had a couple over the years, uh, in an angle. And th- I had a couple thoughts on this, obviously. The first is, I felt it was a massive overreaction by a lot of people after the intro. They didn't even get to watch the entire two-hour show before making a judgment. They also, in the opening, they showed that he wasn't drunk, he wasn't acting drunk, he was clear of mind, He clearly had been hurt. And if you know professional wrestling and you know WWE, it was very unlikely that they were going to do an angle where Jeff Hardy 
actually had a DUI and a drunk hit and run on Elias, it was, it's been blatantly obvious that it was going to be some type of setup and probably Seamus, right? So it was pretty apparent to me what they were going to do from the beginning of the show. And obviously, if you did stay tuned and watch the two hours of SmackDown, you saw them pay it off with Jeff Hardy not in custody. He came back. He attacked Seamus out of massive anger. And then they posted a story on WWE.com. And yes, I do wish they had said it on TV, but they posted a story saying, hey, as soon as he was tested and everything went down, he wasn't retained. Uh, he was cleared of all of all you know accusations or charges or whatever and, and released. So it was all to me much ado about mostly nothing. And this is, you know, when you watch professional wrestling and you watch WWE, Roman Reigns came out on Raw and announced that his leukemia had come back. And in the main event of the show, they had his brothers, Dean Ambrose and, and Seth Rollins, they had Dean Ambrose turn on Seth and for at least a couple of weeks going forward, talk about Reigns' cancer. WWE, that's just a re recent example. WWE has used real life and storylines and wrestling has used real life and storylines throughout its entire history. Now, you may not like it as a fan. And if you don't like it, you are allowed to have that opinion. If DUI or, or alcoholism hits close to home and you don't want that as part of your wrestling storylines, that is well within your right to not like it, to criticize WWE, etc. But from the standpoint of being a longtime wrestling fan, I thought they handled this. If you're going to do an angle like this, they handled it with kid gloves as much as they possibly could. So again, if you don't like the fact that they did it, there's no argument that's going to change your mind. You, you are entitled to that opinion. But if you watched the two-hour show, you saw how it played out. And then you think back and realize that ever since Jeff, Jeff Hardy made his return from his most recent incident to WWE. So really about two months ago, I guess, when they started airing vignettes and video packages of him, and then he eventually returned, they have constantly mentioned his, you know, abuse issues uh, and his legal issues. They've interviewed about him about it live on television. So the fact that they're going in this direction, it's really just a continuation of everything they've been doing with him over the last couple of months. And I personally did not find it that offensive. I agree that maybe the opening segment could have been done better uh, from a production standpoint. I thought it was pretty ridiculous that like Renee Young and so many WWE producers and referees are there breaking up like a, a legal incident, um, an, an auto accident, you know, where it should be police and firemen and so on. But other than that, it was not something that bothered me to a massive degree, Chris. I'm wondering how you feel about it. So, so, so you say, you know, Watching wrestling, you knew it would have a payoff or go the other way or whatever. But I couldn't help but think when I saw that, of, I couldn't help but think of Road Warrior Hawk having his pretend relapse as part of a storyline in 98 or something and thinking about suicide by jumping off the Titan Tron or the Scott Hall relapse stuff that they kept doing in WCW. Um, so it didn't go down that road, thankfully, but that's where, that was my first thought when I saw it. I understand why people would have had those kinds of thoughts when that happened. I, I, I appreciate the effort. I appreciate going outside the performance center, trying to do different things and think of different storylines that are more than somebody pinned the champion. And therefore this is the feud we're having. 
I, I think there could have been other ways to do it. I, I think if, you know, if you were going to involve the police and do something like that, normally when you do that, you know, somebody gets arrested, you, you sometimes you see him back at the police station, like Goldberg in, in 99, the finger poke of doom and something happens. And for some reason they drive a cop car back. I'm not sure how that's ever legal in, in wrestling, but it is. And Jeff Hardy just kind of shows up and yeah, they put the story on WWE.com to kind of explain it. But if we're going to go that far, is Sheamus now under arrest for like setting this up? Somebody hit Elias here, right? Like, I guess, is there going to be more of that or, or no? I don't know. I, I appreciate the effort. I didn't love the execution. I understand why Matt Hardy felt the way he did. I'm not sure how I feel about it being Jeff Hardy because they've talked about his substance abuse in documentaries before and coming back from it. And then he still relapsed again in real life. So like continuing to lean on these things, I don't know if this is the best idea or not. Um, I, I understand why it's controversial and different people have different views on it. Absolutely. I'm, I'm kind of, I'm just kind of by bouncing between both sides on, on, where and why I, I appreciate the the effort, but not a fan of the execution. And that's totally fair. I mean, I'm not going to vociferously defend this, right? Like I said, if if you or anyone else has a problem with it, I get it. But I'm explaining where, from my perspective, I don't. And I can't, you know, anyone that listened to the other show that I was on previously, I I was all about, and as was my the host of that show, we were all about. Vince McMahon deciding to turn Dean Ambrose the night that Roman announced his leukemia because it was so pro wrestling. It was such a heel move. And it just, you know, assuming that Roman was okay with it and, and, you know, approved of all of this happening and it being utilized, then that's where it becomes okay. I don't think WWE and Bruce Pritchard and Vince went to Jeff Hardy and said, hey, we're going to do an angle about this with you. Um, are you okay with it? Jeff's like, no. And they go, well, screw you. You're under contract. We're going to do it anyway. So if, if the person involved is okay with it and it is his life, not anyone else's that is being utilized in this manner, then I, as a viewer, I have to then judge it based on, do I find it interesting and entertaining? And we have sat here on this podcast for multiple weeks and said, WWE needs to a get creative. They got to do things outside of the performance center and they, and they need to, engage all these different worlds and people the best way they possibly could can. And this may not have been the best way they could possibly do it. But to the examples that you gave of Hawk and Scott Hall, you're talking 20 plus years ago. Things have changed. So I did not see this, you know, initially the, the cold open to SmackDown. And the thought in my head was not, oh my God, they're going to do a Road Warrior Hawk angle. You know, it, it, it was... It was, no, this is playing off of something that they have told us about the last, you know, four to eight weeks on SmackDown. They've, again, I'm going to repeat myself. They've mentioned it in vignettes, in interviews that Jeff Hardy's had. Sheamus himself and all of his promos about Jeff have, they've almost all have been, um, you know, that he screws up every opportunity he gets because he can't control himself. So this has been the angle. I just think the way that this played out with a hit and run DUI situation, it being so blatant as opposed to being mentioned somewhat off the cuff or in vague terms previously, I think that surprised a lot of people and, and they just weren't expecting it. I saw other people angry, you know, given everything else that's going on right now, which we alluded to in the intro of the show, angry that WWE did something with cops, period, 
And that I think is totally ridiculous. If you, if you don't want, you know, cops on TV, then literally the show cops can't be on TV. Uh, whatever that new version, newfangled version of cops is that I don't watch, get law and order off TV, any show that, you know, Brooklyn nine, nine can't be on TV. So, so I had no issue with them utilizing police or fake police in an angle, even though I understand what's going on right now, but this was not that. Okay. I mean, it, it, this had nothing to do with, with racial tension. Okay. So, um, so for me, you know, I, I just found it to be unique. We always talk also about WWE having an angle last through multiple hours of television to connect, you know, different segments and weave things in and out and how that usually makes for the most entertaining episodes of Raw or SmackDown. And I thought that's what they did here. So w with the cop thing, I know these were pre-taped, so I don't know how much they could have changed if they wanted to change. I understand why certain people may have felt it seemed insensitive. I don't know if they could have changed what they wanted to do or whatever. But I I, 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 I don't think it was ridiculous that people were upset about it. Um, I personally wasn't, but different people have different feelings about where yes, things are going agreed. on. So, so you know, I, 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 if people were upset about that, I completely understand that as well. One, one other thing, going back to you mentioned Dean turning on Roman and how we all love that and stuff like that. Well, no, I was not saying we all love that. I'm saying well, I, I mean, you, you, yeah. you did, you didn't, yeah. I did, and, and a lot of people did. But I think it would have that was a little bit different because Roman was on the way out and no longer part of the story. I think it'd be different if they used this a remission of cancer in the storyline or, or or something like that would be more comparable to what they were doing with Jeff Hardy. Oh, it's dude, it, going. It, let me clarify something. If Jeff Hardy like injured his back and they did a DUI angle to write him off TV, that I would have a massive problem with. Yeah. This, they wrecked the, they, they clear clarified it and it all encompassed one, two hour show. And again, it was something that was referenced previously. I'm sorry for interrupting. Yeah. I, I, I agree that if you go through the whole show, you know, when when Road Warrior, Hawk, and Scott Hall were happening, we didn't have Twitter at the time, so we couldn't react to a certain thing at the time and see how things played out over multiple weeks, let alone in a single episode, as 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 happened here. Um, but yeah, I mean, clear, I mean, clearly Matt Hardy was not not a fan of that. I I assume Jeff approved of it. I don't know. You know, it was what it was. But I I understand. I don't think it was ridiculous that people would be upset about certain things about it. Um, it's just kind of how it went, though. Yeah, I mean, Matt Hardy, whose body was lifeless in a pool days after a, a major drowning death rocked, you know, <laughs> the Internet for a wrestler, you know. So I, I don't know. I just think I think there was a lot of overreaction in the moment. And I think that it had dissipated very quickly by the end of that two hours uh, with people kind of understanding that it was not as drastic as what they may have thought WWE was doing. And, you know, to move on from it a little bit, it, it led us into what I thought was an awesome backstage segment um, that set up a battle royal for the show that made complete sense given the storyline where you had AJ Styles and Daniel Bryan, who otherwise would have been the finalists for the, in the tournament, being on opposite sides of the coin here because those were the opponents they were supposed to face. I thought everything played out well. You have AJ Styles, who we thought were, was going to be face now that he was on SmackDown, clearly still a heel, saying, yeah. no, he deserves a, a road right to the finals because his guy's not ready to compete. And Daniel Bryan saying, no, that they should have matches and they should fight. It played out really well. Everyone backstage got to speak, but it wasn't one of those things where like you have a, uh, you know, six man 
uh, match in the ring or a six pack match, I guess is what it's called. And everyone says like they, their themes hit one by one and they come out to the ring and your eyes are rolling and you're like, okay, who's next? This was unique. Everyone was arguing backstage. That guy, Adam Pierce, who I think, by the way, is a former NWA world champion, um, is in this kind of weird authority role, but isn't actually an authority. And I don't even think his name's been mentioned, but but yeah. you had this awesome thing play out backstage that I thought was totally entertaining and a great way to kind of come out of that where there's an immediate reaction from the WWE superstars. And then you have the battle royal right then, which is also exciting. Not only was the match good, it set up other feuds. Chad Gable got a great run. Welcome back, by the way. Uh, and then Brian, you know, later in the show beats Sheamus when Jeff Hardy returns. So the end of the show had an extremely hot finish that would have, if that was in front of a crowd, popped it massively with Jeff Hardy running in, you know, getting after a guy he hates and helping a guy that fans love. So everything else that happened, if, especially if, if you're, if you disagree with my opinion on the angle itself, the thing that opened the show, everything that succeeded it, I thought was awesome. Yeah, I, I, I've really liked how this Intercontinental Tournament has played out really almost every step of the way. And to get a bunch of people back involved in it again was, was a, a cool way to handle things. I thought Dan O'Brien in that behind the scenes scene was great and just some good, just good character development, I think, for everybody there. And at any time we can get backstage conversations that are more than just an interview and someone cutting a promo, like people actually talking like, normal people talk as well I, I think that only adds to it and it made everything else throughout the show interesting from the battle royal to to everything else they had planned and chad gable being shorty g is a little weird but you know we got to see him on tv and russell and that was good and, and hopefully we get to see some more of him and some uh, jay uso as a singles guy like there, there's right. some interesting right. stuff that that could be coming down the road here hopefully based on kind of what we saw and that's what I was talking about. That match, when I when I said initially, when we talked about the Intercontinental Tournament, I was like, man, I wish instead of eight, they did 16. Because you yeah. could get Gable and Uso and Gulag. Gulag was in it anyway. Um, but, you know, some of these other guys, Grand Metalik and whoever, have them in these singles matches and give them these opportunities to shine, have it last longer. As it turns out, it was still a very good tournament. Obviously, in typical WWE fashion, it wasn't clean where – you just have the matches and have clean winners. There's always something has to happen in a tournament like this. But nevertheless, uh, I've been completely entertained by it. And yeah, Shorty G, quote unquote, as the character sucks. But Chad Gable's great. And he got significant run. He got FaceTime mic time uh, on Friday night. I fully, mm -hmm. I fully appreciated it. Now, you know, this upcoming Friday, they are saying that we're going to learn a lot more about what happened. To me, Chris, this feels like a natural situation for the hacker to get involved once again. Is that what you're anticipating? That's a good point. I, I, I have to imagine that, that that's how they would do it. I mean, so far, the hacker has largely only had access to WWE cameras and stuff. And I I, I think it's been a... I, I appreciate that it's been a slow burn here and it's kind of been going on for a while. I, I, I prefer that. And I, I think it makes sense. It, 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 it seems to fit naturally. I hope it keeps going on like that. I agree. I agree. So let's move off SmackDown and get to the second part of our main event. And by the way, we will touch on everything else that happened on SmackDown and Raw before we get out of the show. And I did forget to mention as well, a new segment here on Getting Over. We're going to do it every episode. At the end of the show, we're going to preview 
what's coming up next. So on the Tuesday shows, we're going to talk about NXT and AEW on Wednesday night, very briefly, just previewing the matches that are going to and the segments that are going to happen. And then on the Thursday show, I will look ahead to what's going to happen on Raw and SmackDown in the coming weeks. Again, whatever WWE's advertised, we can only know that much. But we talked about SmackDown. That main event is out. Let's move over to Raw. And I actually had a tough time choosing a Raw main event because while Drew McIntyre is the champion and that's the main feud and it certainly closed the show, not much really happened. I think the total screen time for that was like eight minutes. Not The match, the two backstage segments, it was very quick. The person who really got the most screen time on Raw was Seth Rollins, who hosted what they advertised as Rey Mysterio's retirement ceremony, but it really wasn't that in any way whatsoever, even though Rollins kind of perpetuated the idea that he was retiring Mysterio for him because he didn't have the basically the balls to do it himself. Uh, I thought the opening promo from Rollins was pretty solid. I really liked the idea of Murphy and Austin Theory like sitting calmly by ringside watching their like pastor, for lack of a better term, their messiah um, preach. I thought that was really a nice touch. And then he goes right into that A match, a grade A match with Aleister Black. It took up two segments. It started slow, gained momentum. There were a couple twists towards the end there. Uh, two of those awesome springboard moonsaults from Aleister Black. Uh, it um, And then there was an exciting finish with the face going over clean and Aleister Black getting a really big win before the typical dastardly heel tactics uh, take place. So I loved the opening to Raw. Um, Rollins, to me, is hitting on all cylinders with Monday Night Messiah. And, you know, there was a time previously where for like a one month period, I called him the best wrestler in the world. And he's starting to kind of get there again because he is a true five tool player. He has the chops in the ring. He can work with basically anyone. He can cut promos no matter the situation. And maybe as a babyface, it works, but only for a limited period of time with him. There's been other wrestlers in the past where that's been the case. You only want to see Triple H as a face for so long before you eventually want him going heel again. That's just one example. Randy Orton is another really good example. But Rollins just is nailing the Monday Night Messiah character. And the way that show opened, and we'll talk about Mysterio stuff a little bit later, but the way that show opened just continued to hammer home to me. They wanted Reigns to be the guy, but man, Seth Rollins is the guy in WWE. He can do absolutely anything, and it's always, almost always, completely entertaining. I, I think my vote for top wrestler going right now would be Cody, but Seth is up there. But something about that opening, that uh, like a little adjustment that I liked, is that it wasn't promo. Someone else interrupts because of promo. They have a match and they go. Aleister Black just charges out there. He already had a scheduled match. He's defending his mentor, Rey Mysterio, is what commentary said. And like, boom, we're, we're like, we're going into it. I, I didn't want to get 15 minutes of talking before we got to the match or, oh, well, what a coincidence. We're going to make a match out of this. The, the fact that it was already scheduled makes it feel like there's a plan for everything. And when certain things like an interruption happen, it makes sense and leads into a very good match. Like you said, really enjoyable. I like the face winning the way he did. Seth doesn't take Seth, Seth's at the point where he can lose and it doesn't hurt him. You know, Alistair Black continues to build momentum, you know, as they like to say. And uh, yeah, just well executed uh, all around for, for, for a lot of little details and, and stuff like that. You know, I do wish that they had pulled the trigger with Alistair Black at Money in the Bank. I just thought it would have been a good opportunity for him. 
Um, I don't know that Black needs a title necessarily to be great, just like The Undertaker, while he did have titles, never really needed them. But it does feel like they have been building and building and building Aleister Black, but they haven't really given us a payoff. And it's been going on a little bit longer, I think, than maybe they anticipated or maybe they just didn't expect it to go over as well as it has been. I'm not exactly sure what's happening with him, but you know, this has been the better part of like six months where, I mean, really since, since they started raw over in October, Alistair Black's been getting prominence on raw, but especially since the new year, since the calendar turned to 2020, Alistair Black's been in prominent matches. He's been featured on either promos backstage or in great matches in the ring, obviously the feud with Murphy and some of the other and, and some of the other things he's done. And it just feels like they need to now take that next step. But he's in a tough spot because both of the singles champions right now are faces, considering they had Andrade lose to Apollo Cruz. Drew McIntyre, I don't really want to see him fight Aleister Black, because I would kind of want Aleister Black to win that. So they're in this weird territory with him where they continue to find ways to keep him featured and keep him strong but not put him in a title picture. And that's kind of why I do go back to the Money in the Bank thing. I know you like Otis winning, and this is not about Otis, but I do think it would have made a lot of sense to give him something tangible sure. to say, to say this guy is a true threat at any time, but we don't know when we're going to pull the trigger. But we have now 12 months to make that happen. I, I also think it does so much more for Alistair Black when if he's in a holding pattern, he's wrestling competent to a, you know above average guys and consistently winning as opposed yes. to sitting in a closet with smoke and asking who wants to fight him for weeks and weeks and weeks on end like this is the proper way to hold a guy in position not promo nonsense where he didn't get to show off his greatest attributes so right i don't know what the future is for alistair black is here but it's he's a guy that when he comes out in the ring you pay you you know you should pay attention to him and you know you should respect what he can do I also do happen to like Umberto Carrillo in this role, even though it's random, him kind of working with Black. I know it's obviously because of Mysterio that they're doing it. Um, but Carrillo just feels more real doing this than he did previously. Uh, you know, just only fighting Garza and Andrade just because they were other luchadors, right? This actually just feels like he's a real person. So I did appreciate that. Uh, moving on to later in the show, though, you had Mysterio, Rey Mysterio, address what happened with Seth Rollins earlier. And I thought the blacked out eye under his mask was an awesome touch. It looked like it was sewn in and like engineered. So it, you know, was something that he would use for a long term, even though, you know, the guess obviously with any storyline of someone losing an eye and AEW just did this with John Moxley is you think that the eye doesn't work or, you know, there's a problem. And then once the match starts or at some point during the match, they pull off the eye patch and everything's fine and the, and the face wins. So that's what's going to happen with the Mysterio here. That's fine. But my point is, I love that they sewed it into the mask. It looks super cool. Um, the passion from Mysterio in that promo, I felt it where with Mysterio, sometimes it doesn't always come across. But what I really liked, the part that actually got me was Dominic, uh, who continues to impress me. Every time mm -hmm. we see him, we see him on TV and it shouldn't be much of a surprise because he's Rey Mysterio's son, but he has the size. He speaks incredibly well. He's very clear. And there is a intimidating, protecting look from him that just resonates with me for some reason. I don't know why, but he promised eye for an eye. 
Um, which, by the way, is not scripture, which is what he said. It's from the Code of Hammurabi. I learned that in middle school or high school. Yeah. But regardless, regardless, he promised eye for an eye. Um, but man, Chris, you know what the ultimate move is. The ultimate move. What WWE has to do here. And yes, I'm booking the damn territory. And you can give me the opinion on it. It is for Dominic to come to his father's aid in a six-man tag or a one-on-one match or whatever the case, and for him to actually come out as a disciple for Seth Rollins, attack his father, give Rey Mysterio six months off, and then have Mysterio come back and fight Rollins for his son, just like he fought Eddie Guerrero back in the day. That is the damn storyline, and I'm going to tell you this. I don't know if it's going in that direction, but if they do that, and if Paul Heyman does it, you're talking potential storyline of the year. That's it. Tell me I'm wrong. Well, I thought you were going to say Dominic was going to take out Seth's eye as the natural spot, eye for an eye, and uh, can't hide that under a mask, uh, so to speak. Um, I like the idea. Yeah, I mean, I'm all for, you know, turns and, and, and stuff like that. I, I don't know if Seth versus Ray for Dominic, like as a stipulation works, maybe, maybe, Ray, maybe Ray inspires Dominic through his, you know, through his wrestling to convince Dominic to come back. Uh, I, I don't know. If, I don't know if uh, the, the, the exact Eddie stipulation makes sense. Well, no, Dominic no, no, is, no. Dominic the, is clearly Eddie his own person. The Eddie, the Eddie stipulation was for the, like the rights to be his parent, like custody. Right, this, but he was also, you know, he was a kid, though. I mean, Dominic at this point can do whatever he wants. No, yeah, but this is a battle for Dominic's soul. I mean, if we want to get it, if we want to, like, you know, go to the boneyard and make it all cinematic, I mean, and something like that, I'm, I don't, I don't care. <laughs> I'm all for that. I don't care where you do it, and I'm not trying to get overly spiritual, but, but Rollins is a messiah in storyline. His people are the disciples, and Rey Mysterio's entire promo was about his faith, and, you know, and, yeah. and then obviously they mentioned scripture and all that type of stuff. So it's not that he'd be fighting Rollins for like the right to Dominic, but or the or to get his metaphorical soul back. What I'm saying is he would say, look, I'm going to fight the guy you think is your new leader, the guy that you're believing in, that you've turned your back on our family and maybe even your religious figures to believe in Seth Rollins. I'm going to take him down. Your father's going to do that. And I'm going to show you the light. That's the story. Sure, sure. And and I mean, I'm all for. Seth adding more followers and this becomes official faction territory as everybody knows. Um, you know, the, the eye patch under the, the mask, it, it gave me a death stroke vibe from DC comics. The, yes. the, the one eyed yes. guy in the mask as well. Um, yes. Dominic's he's, he's not scared. And that comes across as a character. He'll get beat up by, by Brock Lesnar or something. And he, he's not afraid to just get back in there. And that came across in his promo as well. And, you know, who knows what he is or could be as, as a wrestler, but he continues to work with Ray because Ray's, you know, strength is not on the mic. And Dominic just continues to come out there and just feel authentic and and feel kind of give that position of strength that Ray never has because largely because of his size. And I think it's a great dynamic that's been playing well, for a while here. And yeah, I mean, if Dominic turns on Ray, sure. I'm, I'm all for fun stuff like that, but I, I, I think this is worked on Monday. It's also, it's also incredible that like you mentioned his size, he is so big 
<laughs> not just compared to Ray, but in general, there was a, a point when when like Cain Velasquez was in WWE for that short time where Cain Velasquez made his entrance. And I thought it was Dominic for a good, yeah. like, <laughs> like 25 seconds. I was like, wow, Dominic's like coming out here, like to do this. And I'm like, oh my God, it's Cain Velasquez. So, so he stands up, you know, next to a, a MMA heavyweight, you know, and his, his father is one of the smaller uh, wrestlers who's had main event status in, in professional wrestling history, really. So, yeah, the dynamic of the size is crazy, but look, I don't know that WWE is going to go with, you know, what I'm proposing here. Not that I'm saying they would listen to me, but if it's their plans or not, but man, if this was again, 20 years ago, if this was 1998, that would be the storyline and it would be completely awesome. So it is my hope that they do go in that direction because it popped, that promo popped me last night and that idea popped into my head. Um, you know, I was watching like the news on one TV, I was watching raw on the other and I was just like, I was transfixed for a good like three minutes of man, they could really, really have something here. So that is my hope ultimately that they do that. So th that's the main event. Um, those were really the two big news items that happened on WWE television this week, the two storylines. But, you know, as we do here, we're going to hit a lot of quick hitters basically coming out of Raw and SmackDown. We'll go through them one by one. We'll talk about them um, as we have opinions to share. And if we don't, we'll kind of pass and keep going on. Charlotte Flair and Asuka on Monday, I thought they put on a great match. I knew it would finish in Schma's type of fashion, considering it was champion versus champion. And as a match in WWE with that stipulation or with that um, lineup, it always kind of goes down that way. But the action was awesome. And I thought Samoa Joe was tremendous on commentary, putting over Asuka's you know, attempted submissions and how great of a match it was. He is really shining on commentary. Yeah, I thought it was perhaps Joe's best uh, raw as a commentator. He he did yeah. stand out more than he had in the past. Um, as for this match, I think they start off. Commentary says that that uh, neither Oscar or Charlotte can ill afford a loss right here, except for it was a non-title match. Both of them had literally nothing to lose because momentum is not a real thing in wrestling, as much as they try to tell us. That was kind of they tried to hype it up, but. This, this didn't feel like Bailey Charlotte at all in terms of uh, a, a build and kind of it was a great match, but I, I didn't need it. it. It just felt like more Charlotte. I know we didn't get long Charlotte promos like we had the last couple weeks and that's fine, but it felt like it was just kind of there to fill some space. Um, good match and everything. And, and Joe was great, but uh, it, it, I, I didn't like Oscar looking, you know, women's matches with a distraction finish. It's another one of the things they go back into the playbook all the time. And Asuka looking dumb because Nia Jax comes out with her mask on is like, whatever. Like, th there's got to be better ways you can end a match that's not making. I know Asuka is not necessarily a face, but the champions. Are no, so she's often a face. Made, see, like face champions are so often made to look stupid. And it's just, oh, yeah. it's just, it's just oh. another one of those. No, the finish sucked. I mean, the, the, the finish that being the finish and not actually getting a real pinfall submission or roll up or something. Yes, that of course, but the match itself, the quality of wrestling between those two like, um, yeah, like, was like, really what, good. Yeah, no, it was. W what happens if, if Oscar wins on a roll up surprise roll up uh, a small package or something on, on raw? Certainly Charlotte's doubting herself going into, you know, the, the in your house match. Can she get, can she get her mind right for this match? Like there's different things you can do as opposed to both of them are really strong. No one can lose going into their title matches. So we're just going to have nobody actually really lose. Like I, 
Come on. I mean, asking asking WWE to have Charlotte take a fall and lose clean. I don't think that's I, I'm not even joking. I don't think that's happened since 2018. I know she lost to Bailey on SmackDown. She was either holding the ropes or her tights or something like that. I don't think Charlotte has lost like to a finisher or a clean roll up pinfall or something along those lines. And I'm not counting like Bailey cashing in the money in the bank or anything. Um, like a regular match, I don't think she's lost in, in two years. So and, and why not? Like she could lose the exact way Seth did. She, she could lose course. the way Seth did and wouldn't lose a thing. She's a seven, eight time champion already. Like uh, literally the only thing she the only thing that happens if Charlotte will lose like that is that the other person will will, will get something out of it. Charlotte's not gonna lose anything in this point. Well that, that's character. the thing. And and that's why if they had, had WrestleMania in front of a crowd, like I think we talked about this previously, um, Charlotte losing to Rhea Ripley was the booking because Rhea was hot. And, you know, having her actually beat Charlotte clean at WrestleMania would have been a massive moment for Rhea and her career. Instead, there was no crowd. I don't think it changed their plans. My guess is they were going to have Charlotte win anyway. But Charlotte's champion is she's kind of floundering on NXT. She's on all three shows. Granted, she's not going to be on SmackDown anymore. That was temporary. But it has been an oversaturation. And we will see kind of what they do with her right now. But nevertheless, the match was good. If you don't like the finish, I agree with you. The finish sucked, but the action in that match and really on every match on Raw for the most part, including the Billy Kay Nikki Cross match, mm-hmm. not that they aren't good, not that they're not good, but that match, I'm not expecting an A-plus match, but I was thoroughly, thoroughly entertained. But before we get to that, let's go back to this. Um, Nia Jax, we're gonna, I want to play off that. I didn't, I did not hate her promo for the first time in a while. It actually set up her match well. It didn't, did not make logistical sense at all, um, but it felt actually authentic that her as a heel with a warped sense of mind believed the things that she was saying. It wasn't overly whiny. There were some people that got upset because they thought when she did a yapping type of voice that she was mocking Asuka and Kyrie Sane for being Japanese. I didn't take it that way. I talk it as, took it as her mocking them for talking and yelling a lot, just like you would do with the Iconics because they make a lot of noise. So that's how I took it. Um, But I did like that Nia Jax promo, and this is the first time I'm giving her any credit. Now that I've given her credit, let me take all of it away because this was in a taped edition of Raw, as I think many people know, and it was reported coming out of the taping that Kyrie Sane got busted open uh, during the match with Nia Jax. And I reserved judgment because I said, look, just wrestlers get busted open all the time. Things happen. And doesn't necessarily mean that typically reckless Nia Jax was reckless again. But then I saw what happened. And was it a little bit of happenstance that Kyrie happened to hit between both steel steps in that manner? A little bit, yes. But she was thrown so unsafe and recklessly into those steps that she didn't even have the ability to get her hands up. And then we get the news item. The WWE has reportedly banned turnbuckle power bombs after that Nia Jax botch on Kyrie Sane a couple weeks ago. Let's not forget, it's one of Seth Rollins' signature moves, and he's one of your top stars. So now we have Nia Jax, who most weeks is not cutting good promos, um, hurt someone else again, whether you think it was 100% her fault this time or not. I really don't even care. Just the fact that it was that unsafe the way that was handled, it created a larger chance that something would happen to Kyrie. I'm glad Kyrie stands okay. If you saw her picture on Twitter, the gash was significant in her head. And now WWE is banning moves because basically she's not able to do them safely. Granted, yes, I know Sting got injured from one of them. He has even admitted that was just pure coincidence. And it was something that would have happened to him anyway. 
So then I start looking at Nia Jax as a whole. And I continue to say this to myself. I don't think that she should be put. I'm not saying she shouldn't have a job. I, I get that she's a, a larger in size woman and that makes her dominant and has her do things like throwing people around just like the big show would do or any or Braun Strowman or anyone else. But she does not seem to be able to execute those things safely. And it really makes me wonder why WWE continuously puts her in these situations with women much smaller than her as opposed to women. And I get the, um, I know I'm rambling here, but I get the juxtaposition of her and Kyrie Stane standing next to each other. I get it. But of people that much smaller than her, as opposed to others like a Ruby Riot or even a Liv Morgan or um, a Charlotte who can take it. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I, I think that all makes sense. And, you know, I don't know if she's still just too too raw or, you, you know, they need to put her in better positions. But a lot of this is, you're right, on her. I, I was never a fan of Buckle Bobs anyway. I mean, even when Seth was doing it, it just did not look like a move that anybody could take with, you know, 100% safety because you don't know where the turnbuckle is going to hit you necessarily. So I, I, I'm glad that's happening, even if it was because of not Naya. I wasn't a fan of Seth doing it either. I mean, you kind of just laid it all out pretty well, I think. It, it's I, th- I think you compare it to what you've seen in in AEW with, with, with what Nyla Rose is doing, especially against Riho and some of the smaller people. And like, there are ways to do this, and it's just not working with Nia Jackson, especially with smaller, yeah. much, much smaller uh, uh, wrestlers right now. Nyla Rose and, and Rio, like, I hate to make the comparison is so easy because Rio is smaller in Japanese and Nyla Rose is larger, but, but it's really a direct comparison. And, and certainly, Rio and Kyrie Sane are both professionals and some of, two of the best women's wrestlers in the entire world as well. And yet, look how Rio is handled in situations with Nyla Rose and look how Kyrie Sane is handled against Nia Jax. And it's continuous. It's just time and again. And it's to the point where if you were going to have them continue fighting and get Kyrie Sane a couple wins so that it's an actual feud and there's a reason for them to keep fighting each other. I don't just mean recently. I mean, over the last couple of years, <laughs> not, uh, Nia Jax and Kyrie Sane always seem to be fighting. Then it would make sense, a long-term rivalry. But there are no wins for Kyrie Sane. Uh, Nia Jax always beats her. So just stop giving me this match and protect this woman. And it's it's just really starting to get out of control for me. So that's just kind of what I wanted to say there. Um, on SmackDown, they continued the tease, which is, again, my favorite storyline on SmackDown right now of Sasha Banks' dissatisfaction with Bayley after she gets thrown into another singles match as a complete surprise. And this time, shockingly, she actually beat Alexa Bliss, which was nice to see. And a little strange, by the way, that Bliss and Cross have now both lost singles matches in the same weekend, long weekend, I guess let's call it. It is leading me to wonder whether we're going to get a triple threat women's tag team title match, potentially at Backlash with the Iconics, Bliss Cross, and maybe Bayley, and Sasha Banks, considering Bailey doesn't have anyone to challenge for the SmackDown women's title. But that's if, segment- if, if it's a SmackDown and it's a tag team, you know, it's not going to go by the books in terms of how that it is, matches. <laughs> that is true as well. But I did love that segment, uh, the way Bailey cut the promo. Sasha Banks coming out looking, by the way, like a total badass in the like black pants, the jacket unzips. She's in just like a sports bra, or whatever, just looking totally. She has this, she's always had the boss personality, 
But now she is so superior and so like she's the blueprint, I guess, is the new version of it that it just really rings home in terms of the look. Just a total 10 out of 10. Um, And I just thought it was a great segment, a great win for Sasha. There was some still photos taken of her like pinning bliss. And again, I keep saying the word badass looked like a total badass the entire time. So Sasha's getting over. The teases of her and Bailey breaking up are continuing, which I love. There was a report out that, and this is no surprise, this is not a spoiler because I've mentioned it on the show speculation a million times, but that they're, you know, they're going to have a match at SummerSlam. That might be the blow off or the, or the big match in this feud. And I do hope it goes in that direction. Apparently WWE may be reconsidering, um, you know, due to not having fans and stuff like that. They want it to be a big moment, but nevertheless, this continues to work for me. I love the camera work that WWE has done. It's been all the way since before WrestleMania. Like I believe starting in February, they, they started teasing this. And week by week, it continues to deliver. And it gets me as a fan on the edge of my seat saying, I wonder when she's finally going to burst and turn on Bailey. And I just thought this week was another great example of really good booking and storytelling. Yeah, you, you talk about her being a, a badass. I think that's been a big part of her kind of getting through this and not looking like an idiot, like how she keeps getting put in a bad spot by her friend. and But she's coming through on a lot of these. And she's, she's aware. Gaining, yeah. Yes, and she and she's gaining her own confidence throughout it, and you're seeing that every week. So I think that dynamic's playing off well. I love that whole segment on SmackDown with, with, with the New Day, with Bayley and Sasha, and with Bliss Cross, and everybody just playing off of each other. Scottish pancakes from, from Nikki Cross. Um cup of coffee like it was just a really well done segment and and interactions between six people who are i think really among the most charismatic people on smackdown and you put them all in the ring together and doing their doing their their whole plans and i think it's played off really well and i think bliss and, and and nikki cross continue to build upon you know that 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 nikki promo that was really good uh, last week, uh, continuing to build off of them as a team, I think there's still a lot of work to be. There's still a lot of ways you can go with that as opposed to the New Day, who we've seen together forever. And I think they're doing a good job of that. And I, it was just a fun deal with everybody together there, and, and more of that kind of stuff where where people bounce stuff off of each other, and it really adds to everybody's character. I agree. I, I also enjoy back on Raw now, uh, MVP being juxtaposed with Lana so much. It continues to really entertain me, the fact that, you know, she thinks she can get over on everyone. And I guess she kind of did a little bit on Monday by kind of showing up in that match and not interfering, but distracting MVP. But at the same time, him not giving her an inch and, you know, her uh, accusing him of using Bobby Lashley. And when he kind of fires back, well, isn't that exactly what you're doing? Drew McIntyre was largely absent for the show. Um, You know, he did have that quick, you know, chat backstage. And then obviously he came out for the main event. Um, which was fine. I thought the main event was fine. I didn't really love, though, the fact that this is your guy, McIntyre. I'm not saying he needs to be largely featured in the biggest part of every single show, but you are building towards a pay-per-view. Bobby Lashley is a newer challenger. I just kind of wish that they had done this in the middle of the show and even left Asuka, Charlotte, and Nia Jax for the main event because it was a really good match. And it would have been a pretty good way to end the show and lead into the women's feud for a change. It just felt like the McIntyre-Lashley stuff 
was a throwaway of, oh yeah, this is the last match and let's throw this out there. It literally started with four minutes left. At 10.56 it started. So it was a disappointment for me to kind of see it treated so, you know, just like a brushed away of, of, hey, uh, yeah, by the way, let's make sure we get the WWE champion on TV. Yeah, you know, I, I kind of give him a pass for for kind of having an off week with Drew and all that because, you know, he, he's been at the forefront of a lot of this. Um, I, I would have liked to see more because I've really liked, I keep saying it every week, I'm loving MVP all the time. I, I really like what Drew's doing. Would love to have more, but, you know, they'll, they'll have a, a, a blow off coming up pretty soon here. Or I mean, a go home coming off pretty soon here. Um, I thought there were some little things like, honestly, I had for, I, I, maybe it's just me missing it. I had forgotten that Lana is actually Bobby's wife. I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know if they hadn't specifically used that word or if I had just missed it, but there was someone, I think it was commentary, used the phrase wife, and I was confused for a second. And then I rem- I just completely, fr- I just thought of her as Amanda. I, I don't know, I, I forgot about the wedding apparently. So I think Lana was okay in that whole thing. I, I loved when Lana came down. By the way, I still love Lana's theme. So when she does an entrance, big fan of the the, the, the saxophone theme. <laughs> when, when she comes down the, the entrance at, at the beginning of the match, that smirk that Drew has on his face was so good. So good that he knew like he's he knew that the, the villains he's dealing with have their own sort of internal squabble going and it's ma- and it's helping right. him out. And you could tell Chiselle he was enjoying that both probably in, in real life and in character. Uh, really, really well done. Um, MVP Lashley, uh, MVP McIntyre. I would have liked more. I don't know how long McIn- uh, MVP can go, but it was great hearing his theme as, as he entered again. Good seeing him in in, in the in the match. Um, yeah, I, I would like more of it. I didn't have any problems with anything that happened. I even I was glad that McIntyre got the win before Bobby Lashley came in and, and put him in the full Nelson as opposed to a, a, a nothing finish. So I I think it did everything it was supposed to do. I just I think it would like a little bit more of it. Couple things there. MVP's entrance and his entrance music are the mo- are not the most, but one of the most underrated in maybe WWE yes. history. When he used to have like the blow up entrance as well with the smoke and all that, it was totally badass. So you know I, I get they're not doing those things right now, but if he ever has a match again, like in front of a crowd, I, I really hope they go back to something like that. You make a good point about Drew. Uh, the the difference of the Lana interference. And the uh, and the Nia Jax interference, which happened on back to back segments, show you why McIntyre is great because mm-hmm. he is a face who is not distracted by the sup- stupid stuff. He is beyond that now. He's too yeah. smart. Where most baby faces are stupid. And granted, this was an interference for the heel that Lana did. Um, and in that case, MVP being a heel is allowed to be stupid. He's allowed to get distracted by it. That's yeah. what heels are, right? So it showed you the it, what it's the perfect dichotomy between what happened in the segment prior and what happened in that segment. It's a really, really good point by you. Um, in terms of Lana and that entrance, yeah, I, I, I don't really like it. I guess every time I hear the entrance, I think back to the vignettes of her that they cut, of her being like a ballroom dancer who was, <laughs> who was gonna start wrestling again. And then yeah. she comes out and has two matches and is I don't know. I just yeah, I don't know. I just I like the theme. It's just bouncy and bubbly, and I don't know why I like it's fine. It. It, no, it sounds good, but it always gives me like those flashbacks. Yeah. She had two matches and they're like, Yeah, yeah, she's not gonna be a wrestler, forget this. Um, the other thing is you mentioned about forgetting that Lana uh was married to Bobby Lashley in Kayfabe. I think the reason is when she refers to him, 
she always calls him my Bobby. So so it doesn't really sound like my husband or, you know, they're not holding each other's hands and they've been very distant recently. So that may be why uh, it's been a little off. What was not off on Monday night was the promo cut backstage by Randy Orton. And I don't do this every time, but I'm going to air that one in its entirety right now. For the past few months, I've woken up, went at home, sat on the couch, poured a cup of coffee and watched the WWE Network. And I've caught up on The Undertaker's Last Ride documentary, uh, Chronicle, Arrival, 360, 24. Hell, I even caught up on the ride-along. The one thing that every WWE superstar seems to have in common is that they think Ric Flair, the Ric Flair, is the greatest to ever do it. I agree. But then last week on Monday Night Raw, I tuned in, of course, and I saw Ric Flair. I saw the wheeling, dealing, kiss-stealing, jet-flying, limousine-riding, son of a gun. You know what he said? He said that, in his opinion, Randy Orton is the best to ever lace up a pair of boots. And you know what, Edge? You've said the same. But you know what else you've said? Two weeks ago on Raw, you said right to my face that I didn't have a passion for this business. That I was handed everything. That I was content. That I just did it for the paycheck. That I was complacent. That I was comfortable. And you know what? (laughs) You're right. What can I say? You're right. And you can't stand that for 20 years I have phoned it in and I have half-assed it and I have still accomplished more than you or anyone else in that locker room has accomplished. You scratched and you clawed to make your way here. You scratched and you clawed and you had to pretend to be the heroes from your childhood to get here. All I had to do was be Randy Orton. All I had to do was wake up lace my boots, and get in that ring to prove that I am the best. In a backlash, I'm going to do the same. At backlash, what very well could be the greatest wrestling match ever, I am going to prove that I am better than you. At backlash, Edge. I set the bait, you bit. And now your storybook ending is going to be rewritten by the three most destructive letters in sports entertainment. R. K. O. I thought it was great, Chris, to see him admitting, even in kayfabe, something that fans talk about all the time, that he phones it in when he isn't really engaged. And for Orton to kind of come out and say, yeah, not only is that true, I've been phoning it in for the last 20 years and I've still had a better career than Edge has. And I'm going to prove it when we have the greatest wrestling match ever, whatever, a backlash. So, you know, that corny line aside or that corny phraseology or promise uh, for backlash, they're actually doing a really good job selling the match just as they did their WrestleMania match. The question is, and the question remains as we keep talking about, are they actually going to deliver anything that is can even be claimed to be the greatest wrestling match or is it all total BS? Orton's going to low blow him three minutes in and they're going to just going to give us a no DQ match or something. Right. That's 
I, I'm like, I like the promos from Edge and Orton, but it, it doesn't at all fit with the way they're promoting the match otherwise. So I'm, 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 I'm not getting fully into these promos because I'm being told kind of facetiously that, that this is going to be the greatest wrestling match ever. So I'm not, <laughs> I'm not, so I'm not getting into it. Like I think I would like these promos that they cut leading into the last minute standing match were really good as well. And I got into it cause you knew it was going to be a serious deal. I just, I, you know, they, they bring in HBK for the, for the, for the talking about greatest matches. Like it, it's, it, in some ways they're so telegraphing that it's going to be some sort of gag of, of some type, but then you're also getting the serious promo. So I don't know, like maybe that's the point. Maybe I'm just supposed to be confused about how I feel this going in, but uh, I, I like the promos, but when I see what else is being talked about as a match, Otherwise, it's just it's hard for me to fully invest in it because I, I'm I'm waiting for the rug to be pulled out from under me and we get some sort of schmozzy thing because of how they're kind of hyping it in a weird way. Well, that's the thing. You have HBK coming on and he's saying, you know, hey, is this going to be the greatest wrestling match ever when we know in real life HBK probably has 10, 15 matches that are better than any that Randy Orton or Edge have been involved in? I mean, right. Uh, at least regular real wrestling matches, not counting um, a TLC match, obviously, that Edge was in, which was fantastic with the Hardy Boys and the Dudley Boys. But, you know, for real wrestling matches, HBK can put his top 15 probably above both of those guys. And if not top 15, definitely his top 10. So for to have him come on and and he played it smart where he's like, look, is it going to be the wrestling best wrestling match ever? I don't know, but I'm one of the best wrestlers ever. And I can tell you that both these guys are good. That was an interesting way for them to have Shawn Michaels get involved. But when I saw him, I'm like, please don't say that this is going to be better than your best match. I'm like, please don't say it because it's just not true. It, it can't be true. It won't be true. You know, as simple as that. Um, you know, so before, let, 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 me, let me add one more thing. Go for it. Yeah, yeah. We are, I think we are in a golden era for wrestling beards. Yes, that was we the are. Biggest, that was we the are. biggest beard I've ever seen on Shawn Michaels. Uh, Drew has his beard. MVP has a beard. Seth has his beard. Buddy Murphy, Alistair Black, uh, the Viking Raiders. Like Otis. there are there Otis. There are beards everywhere Raw. across Raw and SmackDown, yeah. uh, and just very good looking beards. I, I just wanted to throw. I mean, Kofi as well. Forgotten Sons, yeah. Sheamus a little bit. Dana Bryan. They're everywhere, and I just wanted to. Oh. I, I wanted to do it last week, and I forgot. I, once I saw HBK and the biggest beard I've ever seen him have, I realized, okay, everybody's going all in on beards here in wrestling, and I am a fan. Yeah, well, Daniel Bryan is clean-shaven right now, just a point of order there, but Braun Strowman has a big one as well. Um, big beard, that is, to clarify. Um, no, you're right, it is. I mean, it, beards also are trendy these days, but yes, the wrestlers have definitely adopted it in a major way, Where and a lot of main event wrestlers in WWE have them, where Vince in the past, you definitely know, was not cool with that. Like, you know, The Rock and Austin, granted they had facial hair. The Rock had the sideburns. Austin had the goatee. But it really wasn't much, you know, to have that much of your face covered by hair. That is something that Vince McMahon would not have been cool with in the past. I can guarantee you that. Dan O'Brien is not clean shaven. Dan O'Brien has a beard. He's not? No, I, I looked up to just double check. Now, he's, it's not a big beard. But he's got a decent beard, and, and I thought he shaved, I thought he went to the short hair and took all the facial hair off. No, he did. He did, but it's back, and it's about oh, it came back. it's about Drew Gulak size as well. Oh, okay. Uh, you know, I retract that correction because it was wrong. So very good. That's a point for Chris right there. Uh, before we talk, I have a, you know ten more things to talk about. Hopefully, all very quick. 
I actually got criticized recently, and maybe I'm proving it on this show, when I, about being too positive for WWE. And I wanted to get your take on it as someone who's literally talking with me about it every single week. At the same time, you and I have only really been doing it from WrestleMania season to now, and it's been a very interesting, unique time in WWE history. I think longtime listeners know there was a period of time where I was extremely negative about WWE. There was very little they actually did that I liked. It was only a couple of years ago that that was the case. Um, but I have seen improvements as ever since those new TV deals came in October and they reinstituted the brand split. I've seen the products progressively get a little better on SmackDown incrementally here and there. And then all of a sudden, the last two weeks, I fully enjoyed. But Raw, in my opinion, since like November, but as I mentioned earlier, really, this ties into Aleister Black, really since January, has been a very good professional wrestling program. And I don't think people are giving WWE enough credit for actually putting on a good product, given the circumstances they are facing. Um, the fact that we are having cohesive long-term storylines that thread into each other and are planned well in advance. I know that's not something that, it's something that should be expected. It isn't something that should be a surprise, but it is happening. New faces are getting over. They're bringing more people up. They're giving people opportunities at mid-card and, and you know main event statuses. That's good. Um, they're going a little bit slightly more adult in their language and in their storylines. That's a positive. So, you know, could I could I look at all the negatives of the things that I really don't like in WWE? Of course I could. But I think when we're talking about the product now, given the fact that it is one of the lone pieces of entertainment that's actually operating live and simultaneously they're actually doing a pretty damn good job, all things considered, I actually think the on-air product, the on-screen product is deserving of legitimate praise when it deserves it. There are bad things. We talk about those bad things. I'm going to talk about a couple of them coming up really soon. But for the most part, I have been fully enjoying Raw and SmackDown hasn't been great, you know, for the last few months, but the last couple of weeks I've enjoyed it as well. I don't think that's a bad thing that someone is able to be positive about the product that they're actually enjoying as long as you're able to say, look, there are times where I really don't like this product. And long-term listeners, people who have been listening to me talk about wrestling for three years, you know there have been periods of time where I've been totally down and nearly out on WWE. But Chris, right now, I happen to be enjoying the product they're giving us. So are you asking me if I think you're too positive? Yes. So I, I used to listen to you on, on your on your previous show as well, and I know you, you used to defend WWE against, you know, the Brian Campbell Ryan, and some other yes. people. Especially, you know, especially when AEW started, I think. Um, but there's it, a difference. It, but there was a difference. I, when I was defending WWE then, it was what I perceived to be an overabundance of criticism. That was yes. undeserved. That, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. I, I, yeah. I think you, you, you often have maybe over-defended something you think was being un unfairly criticized too much. And WWE has criticized a ton and has been for a very long time, and many of it for legitimate reasons, and some of it for not as legitimate reasons. And I'm with you. I think really leading up to WrestleMania and since then, it's been pretty good. I mean, especially you factor in without a crowd. Um, I, throughout the fall, I was having a real hard time watching Raw. You know, when we started this podcast, or when, when, I, when I joined you... To, on this podcast, 
I was not necessarily watching Raw or SmackDown every night because it was not great. And pretty much since we've started, I think the product has slowly gotten better. We're seeing a lot of new faces out there that we're not that we weren't getting before when everything was in front of a crowd. And I do think the product overall has gotten better through this trying times of being forced to do some different things with different people. So, no, I, I, I think sometimes you are maybe over positive in the face of criticism and maybe with AEW you, you do the opposite when everybody loves it so much, you, you try to find some holes to poke that maybe some people are overlooking. I think the general feeling of, Hey, we're going to give NXT the benefit of the doubt because they're, we, we know they're generally doing it right. Hey, going to give AEW the benefit of the doubt because more than not, they've gotten it right. Not going to give Raw or SmackDown the benefit of right. the doubt. History, history has told us that they typically don't get it right. That plays into a lot of this, absolutely. Um, I, I don't blame people who don't think the long-term Raw or SmackDown is, is going to work out or you don't trust that the plans are working for certain people that they may decide to push or not. But I do think over these last few months, it generally has been pretty good. And I think I can just leave it at that without saying it's anything more or less than, than it is. Yeah, I mean, I think it, that's a fair way to put it. There are a, AEW and NXT get the benefit of the doubt and Raw and SmackDown don't. And the, the truth is they don't necessarily deserve the benefit of the doubt. But when things are good, it's allowable to say that they're good, right? Saying that Apollo Crews being champion isn't a great thing because you expect they're going to take the title off him in two weeks. Well, that's just being incredibly negative when so far so good. And I'm not going to turn on it until they make me, until it's bad, right? Um, I think an example where I was wrong was I was like, you know, Ricochet, they buried, you know, everyone was saying he was buried. And I was like, you know what? I don't think he was buried because now he's in a tag team. They're featuring him every week. They're putting on really good matches. But what's happened? They lost to Vink and Thorne, who are now also not on television. We haven't seen them in a month. And the only tag team stuff we get on Raw is the Viking Raiders and the Street Profits doing stuff completely away from the ring that's pure comedy. So whereas I thought, hey, they're just going in a different direction with Ricochet, they still really like him. And I was defending that. I'm allowed to be wrong on stuff like that. But I was giving them the benefit of the doubt because I saw what they were doing with Drew Gulak. And I saw that they were making Asuka more prominent and giving Aleister Black opportunities and Murphy putting him in a group where he was forgotten about previously. So yeah, I think that in the last couple of months, maybe really the last two months, I've been giving WWE the benefit of the doubt that people aren't used to them getting. And therefore it makes it feel like I'm, I'm not being critical of WWE. When the truth is there are a lot of things that I don't like that I've mentioned previously. Braun Strowman as champion is freaking awful, okay? The Viking Raiders Street Profit stuff. There are a couple of them that have hit me. And since we've already mentioned it six times, we'll talk about it next. Um, but most of them have been pretty terrible. The fact that there's basically no tag team picture on either brand is awful. I could go on with all the things I don't like, but I also don't think that people turn into a podcast and there's plenty of them out there. If you want to listen to, you know, Dave Meltzer and Brian Alvarez tell you everything that sucks in WWE, you can go do that, right? But I also think people want to actually get analysis of the shows that they're watching for entertainment and be entertained by that analysis. So that's what I'm trying to bring here. I promise you, and I will promise this, to everyone listening to this podcast. When things in WWE are bad, I will tell you they're bad, and I'll probably tell you they're even worse than they actually are. When things are good, though, I'm gonna give them legitimate credit, just as I do with AEW, and just as I do with NXT. And I'll, I'll finish it up on this. I posted a poll 
on our Twitter account. Again, you can follow it at Getting Overcast, where I asked everyone what their favorite show of the week was. And I, I guarantee most weeks it would have been like, you know, 40% AEW, 40% NXT, and then 10% Raw and SmackDown, right? Or maybe 20, 20, 30, and 30, something like that. This was almost completely even across the board. I was actually shocked. NXT won for this past week. I think AEW was second and Raw and SmackDown were third and fourth, but all really like 23, 24%, all pretty close. I think NXT was 31. But my point is, is that there's a lot of good wrestling on right now. The last couple of weeks of Raw, SmackDown, AEW, and NXT have been consistently above average to very good television. And I think we should all appreciate and enjoy that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I, I think it, I'm willing to kind of give Raw a little bit more benefit of the doubt right now than I have in the past because they're in this unique situation. They can't necessarily fall back on certain things that they used to always fall back on. They have been forced to do different things. Mm -hmm. And more often than not, I think those decisions have been pretty good. So when things get back to normal, maybe we'll see how things go. But for the past few months, I think they generally do deserve benefit of the doubt from what they've been doing, especially on Raw. SmackDown has not been great outside of a couple of things. Last couple weeks have been better. But we also, you know, don't talk... You know, in terms of being overly positive, we don't talk a ton about SmackDown on the show because simply it hasn't been it's not good. all that all that good. Right. And we don't want to just keep getting into things that we don't like because you can get that anywhere else pretty much I, in, in a wrestling podcast. I mean, I think like half of last week's main event was Drew McIntyre versus Braun Strowman, why Drew is going well and Strowman isn't. Like it was clearly that we don't like what's happening in the main event on SmackDown right now. So I don't know what else people could want. But nevertheless, let's move on. I just wanted to get your thoughts on that topic. Let's talk about a couple things I didn't like before we move into some more that I did. Uh, Viking Raiders and Street Profits, go bowling. You know, you made a really good point last week that fans basically never bought the Viking Raiders as a serious dominant team, whether heel or face. So they're going in a different direction. They're trying to give them a comedic persona and trying to make them likable. And I think to some degree it's working and these vignettes and these segments are helping the Viking Raiders. But I simultaneously think they're actually hurting the Street Profits because while the Street Profits are able to show their charisma, what really makes them special is Montez, Ford, but both of their ability to work together in the ring. And you saw it in the main event of Raw a couple of weeks ago where they had that awesome main event match. And you're like, man, I missed that from the Street Profits. We're not getting that. We're getting them golfing and going bowling and doing all this stupid stuff. Now, I did like the basketball one. And I think the golf one last week, I also said I liked, but there's probably been five now, including the bowling. It's like three to two bad versus good. Next week, they're doing a decathlon. Dude, I kind of just want this to end. We, we keep we keep flipping every week. You like where I don't like the other. I really like the bowling. I, I thought it worked. I love when Montez Ford calls for the smoke and the, the, the smoke and the neon lights come on and they get better at bowling. And it was just. It was fun. And like this one was more fun, I thought, than golf or basketball where they didn't feel it didn't feel like somebody was sandbagging or just kind of being dumb. They continue the 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 gag of I think it's Eric or Iber. I still know who's who saying someone getting upset, but one of them is good looking. So they get a pass. I like Ivar, that gag Ivar is, is the one with the turkey leg who the girls like. Ibar, they think is good looking. I, I, I think it's a fun gag that keeps going on. However, I do agree 
that the greatest strength to get from the Street Profits is in the ring. And I thought that's why they handled it well last week, even though I didn't like the golf. You still got them in a, in a match. You got them in a main event match. They look great. You've got three outs on the show. You can give these guys a comedy segment on the side and also a wrestling match to look yes. at because they, they, yes. they, they can do everything. They're, they're one of your, they're, they're your, some of your most interesting characters on the show. You can give them several segments here to do uh, everything. And I don't think anyone's going to feel worn out by them because, because they're really good at what they do. They also, for- also uh, uh, they have facial hair as well. <laughs> they do. They came out for raw talk, which we will discuss before we get out of here. And their music hit and the crowd was pumped. And you're like, that's what I want. I want their music. I want Montez for dancing and wrestling and doing frog splashes. I don't want them drop, dropping bowling balls on each other's feet. That just, it just what I, I, I appreciate them trying to do things away from the PC. Like we have talked about, we want them to do. It's gone on a little bit too long. They're doing the decathlon next week. I have to believe that's the end of it. Then we get back to wrestling. So that's just is what, what is what three, two right now. Well, is I mean, it's three, score? two, and it's three, yeah. two in terms of things I, I didn't like versus like, no, no, no. But, I don't even I know did, what the score is. I don't they, even know. They've done, they've done basketball. They've done bowling. They've done throwing. They've done golf and they've done, well, maybe it's two, two. I was I wondering if they, I was wondering if they're going to make it a best of seven, essentially. Oh no, God, no. Hopefully best of five. Let's get out of here on it. Uh, another thing happened away from the PC, Rob Gronkowski on raw dropped the 24 seven title to our truth at his home in Foxborough, Massachusetts. You know, the 24-7 title, it coming back and going between Raw and SmackDown, you know, maybe it will liven up both shows and maybe we'll even get like a random PC person in the crowd winning it or something like that. There is value to potentially having it, okay? But the real value in Gronk having it and being stuck away really would have been for them to do a title change at Bucks training camp or, you know, OTAs or something having to do with football where you have our truth dress up as a referee or an assistant coach or something, surprise him. Maybe Brady holds him down, his shoulders down, because he wants him to concentrate on football. It, it was a really big missed opportunity for them to kind of just throw this away at his home. I know there was a report from PW Insider that Gronk has also executed a clause in his contract to no longer be employed by WWE uh, because he wants to concentrate on football, which makes sense. But I really don't see what the harm was, even if it was a practice field in Massachusetts, of them doing something that was football involved, a little bit more realistic than him being a random gardener that Gronk's never seen on the property and his friend dressing up as a referee. It just, I, I, I have enjoyed Gronk. I liked the promos last week from both R-Truth and Gronk. I, I liked his involvement. I thought it gave WWE some attention they wanted. It just felt like such a blase payoff that I was pretty disappointed. I, I, I like I actually liked the the whole bit on Monday, and I kind of am sad that Gronk is leaving us after what we've gotten the last two weeks. Um, it felt less forced. It felt like he was having more fun and and maybe less scripted and just kind of talking. Um, but you know, if it had to happen, it had to happen. I agree that it would have been best if you could have pushed that into NFL season as much as you could and had some real fun with it and stretched it out. But, uh, you know, if they couldn't, they had to do what they had to do. I, I thought what they did on Monday worked fine. And um, it's I, uh, too it's too bad. It was it was an experiment that I 
I think wasn't a bad idea, and it just obviously didn't work out. Well, the time the timing certainly didn't work out. You know, yeah. clearly they were going to have him win it at WrestleMania in a huge moment. You know, and and take it on going forward from there. But I just wish that this on Monday was a fake out where our truth tries to win it. Gronk notices what's going on, runs back in the house, or you know, uses the rake and knocks our truth down, or something like that. And then it continued, and maybe next week or a couple of weeks later, sure. we, we saw it happen. That would have been better than them kind of just they threw in the towel on it. And again. If it's a 100% real life thing, I get it. But it, to, to have that be the climax was just disappointing to me. Not disappointing was Otis and Mandy on Friday night in basically a Fast Times at Ridgemont High parody with Otis as Phoebe Cates in that infamous uh, or infamous, I should say, topless scene. Dude, I laughed out loud. I don't know if you're a Fast Times guy. I've only seen the movie twice. I'm not a huge fan. But seeing it as soon as Mandy like put the glasses on or whatever she did. You knew what was happening. I cackled out loud when I saw Otis like remove his top in that manner and see them make out. I just thought it was really funny and extremely well done by WWE. Yeah, it, it was. I think I, I'm curious how many people who saw it maybe necessarily didn't get the whole thing. But uh, even for WWE's audience, that goes pretty far back. <laughs> it does. That but, is, but, but their audience is older though, so they should have gotten it. Yeah, but uh, uh, yeah, I thought it was fine. I, I didn't think it was like great. I thought it was just you know it was fine. I I, I kind of got it. Um, okay. Yeah, it was fine. Moving into something you mentioned earlier, Kevin Owens getting that U.S. title shot. It was unexpected, but you knew it would obviously end in like a double interference of some type because two faces fighting. I didn't think they were going to have Cruz beat Owens after he had just lost Angel Garza the week before. And certainly they weren't going to have Owens win the title when Cruz had just won it. But we get that tag match. Apollo Cruz gets another clean victory over Andrade with that really impressive sit down, spinning, sit down powerbomb. Um, ultimately, I loved that Owens came out. The way he cut that promo was, look, I'm not trying to get pity here, but if you're going to challenge me, I'm going to kick your ass. I'm going to win the title. Them teaming up as they did a couple of weeks prior it just completely worked for me. And the Cruz promo was not as strong as he had been the, the past couple of weeks, but still for me, a step in the right direction. And dude, I'm thrilled to see Apollo Cruz get this kind of attention and time on TV. Two more guys with beards as well. Um, <laughs> I, I, you're right. I, I loved the Kevin Owens promo. It was like a little thing that, again, a little thing that added so much. Gave you a reason to care about Kevin Owens in this match and not overlook him when it's going to happen. And it gave him some it gave him some self-respect as a wrestler. He loses. He raises Cruz's hand. You know, that that's that's how you do a face versus face match. Like you you set it up that way and, and, and not like, oh, they're they're, they're friends or how hard are they going to go? Like, no, you set up at the beginning like we're going to take this seriously. So you have a reason to take it. Take a face versus face match seriously when it happens. Uh yeah, well done. Now, one of the surprises for me on, on both shows this week was Billy Kay against Nikki Cross, which we alluded to earlier. Billy Kay looked great in terms of in the ring. And it's not that she's not a good wrestler, but I don't know if she's done extra training or just she really was able to shine on her own here against Nikki. Nikki's obviously great. And anyone that is in a match with Nikki look, usually does look good. But she did that really cool sit down Uranagi finisher, which I know is a move that Mercedes Martinez used to use. And she got a clean win. Meanwhile, on SmackDown, you have Lacey Evans fighting to a double countout. I just thought that the way they put forward that Billy Kay Nikki Cross match was really positive. It was a good women's singles match. It was short, but I did think it got the job done, and I, I think it deserves a two thumbs up and a mention here. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm not. I always kind of roll my eyes a little bit at, oh, one half of the tag team champions was pinned. You know, here we go for a feud, a sure. title match, whatever. But I, I enjoyed the match. I enjoy when it's a, I guess you call it a finisher or a move that I'm not expecting to end a match ends a match and it's a surprise and it kind of leaves a, a good surprise feeling in, in, in your mouth after that. Um, uh, yeah, I really enjoyed the match on, on Monday. And then yeah. Wednesday, and SmackDown was whatever. I think Sonya Deville continues to be great. Lacey Evans, I'm just still not into. Just have her beat Lacey Evans. Like, yeah. What is the harm in that? Now, if they do another match this week and Sonya wins clean, fine. But, man, a double countout in a Lacey Evans match. Talk about, like, something that would have me flip off the television if I was not doing a podcast about professional wrestling. Uh, also on SmackDown, Kurt Angle uh, introduced... Matt Riddle, uh, basically with a video. I thought the video was lackluster considering it was so scripted. But the the idea of Kurt Angle introducing Matt Riddle to the SmackDown audience is great. There was a report out there that WWE, or I think actually Kurt Angle said that WWE offered him the opportunity to manage Matt Riddle. I don't know if I would have liked that because Riddle does not need a manager. He is totally capable right. on his own. But would it have been cool if he was his coach and, and you know, Angle said he wasn't ready for certain things and then Riddle said, hey, well, let me fight you. And if I beat you, then I'm ready. They have a blow-off match. And, you know, may, that may have been cool. But again, Angle kind of already had his blow-off match in WWE with King Corbin and they kind of rid him, wrote him off from being an in-ring competitor. I've also, you know, I'd be a hypocrite to say that I like the idea of coaches when I've said on AEW, I really don't like Arn Anderson as Cody's coach. I think it's ridiculous. And how many people they are using in similar roles, uh, it's very annoying. In WWE, they're not doing that, though. So to have one, I don't think would have been the worst idea. But I do prefer the idea of Angle introducing Matt Riddle. I also would like if Riddle had a match coming up, maybe his debut match, and Angle was on commentary talking him up about how great he is and the type of future he's going to have. And maybe like Riddle gives him a fist bump after the match or something like that. I think using Angle to get Riddle over is a good idea as long as they don't do too much of it. Yeah, no, see, I I, I like the coach thing they're doing in AEW. I think they're doing too many, but I think, I think the Arn Cody dynamic has been good and that Cody's- you, Wait, I want to know, you like Arn Anderson with the play sheet, like he's an NFL offensive coordinator? Yeah. Yeah, I do. Oh, God. Even, even if he had the wrong match play card in, in the TNT Championship match. Oh, my God. Uh, but, no, I, I think it's I, I, I think it's fine. I, I, I mean, it, and it's not taking away from Cody. Like, Jake the Snake's clearly there to talk for Lance Archer a bit, but Cody is still able to shine with Arn in the background. I think that's the dynamic you could do with Matt Riddle and Kurt Angle and make it look okay. Because Matt, Matt Riddle is a plenty charismatic character on his own. You don't want to take it away from him at all. But if you, if you, if you want to use the, that's why I like the coach aspect more than the manager aspect. Cause the manager is usually a talker for the, for the person like that. So that's not what I want. I think the coaching would be fine. I love Kurt Angle is one of my favorite ever. I, I love seeing him more around. Don't want to take away from that riddle though. I also got a note that someone was mad that I accidentally said a spoiler a couple of weeks ago. Um, and then I gave a spoiler alert last week for Matt Riddle. Folks, we're going to talk about wrestling and, and the new stuff that's happening, but this is what I'm going to do going forward. Any spoiler, any legitimate spoiler, I have a siren. I will play the siren on the show, and then we will talk about the spoiler for about 60 seconds, and we will tell you when it's finished. So, spoiler. Well, 
what what you you did say I think it was last week you you gave the spoiler alert on Riddle uh you said check back in like a minute or two and we went like five minutes okay that's the difficulty that's the difficulty okay um this is what I'll do okay this is what I'll do we we gotta make we gotta make it like a hard two minutes well okay any spoiler in the show will be relegated to two minutes. And if it's not, it will be mentioned in the description. Okay, so here's a spoiler alert. We're gonna talk about something for two minutes. I have my eye on the clock and then we will stop. So you hit that fast forward button, I guess four times. I believe it's a 30 second skip or if a 15 second hit it eight times, but two minutes, we're gonna talk about a spoiler right now. All right, here is the spoiler. Reportedly, uh, just like we have Matt Riddle going to SmackDown, we have Dominic Dijakovic, Dijakovic, I'm sorry, heading over to Raw. And Chris, I'm excited that Dijakovic, who I like to call Dijak, his real name, which is so much better. Um, I like that he's coming to the main roster. I think it makes a lot of sense. They don't really still need him down in NXT. They have other people that they can push. But I wouldn't be, I'd be lying if I didn't say, I really wish they flipped them that Matt Riddle was coming to Raw, as I've mentioned many, many times, and Dijakovic was headed to SmackDown. So I know you're not a huge NXT watcher, but I know you know who he is. What do you think about him getting the Ascension just like Riddle did? I'm a little concerned about it translating because there's not a ton of character there. I love his matches and everything, but Riddle's a guy you have confidence is going to succeed wherever they put him because he's got a lot going on. Um, you know, Dijakovic's a big guy. Maybe maybe Vince likes him and they do a push, but uh, outside of the, the Keith Lee stuff, um, which was amazing in NXT. I, I, there's nothing, there's not much about him that has stuck out, but you know, we, we've seen other people like Elias move up and it, and it worked out great. So maybe that, maybe there's something they can find out in, but for a big guy who can do a lot of the things that he does, uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing that. Yeah. The, the gimmick just has never worked for me. Him being, uh, I think it's like a Croatian nationalist, even though that is his heritage, just it doesn't work. Um, the name is way too long and confusing for for a company that likes shortening names right, and right. taking names right. away. Even if they just called him Dijakovic, it would be better. Uh, we got 20 seconds left. So simply, um, I, I like that he's getting the call up. I actually do hope he gets repackaged. And I would not mind if he ends up being one of Seth Rollins' disciples. That would be a really cool way to bring someone new in when he's Rollins is facing all of his adversity. And all of a sudden you have this huge guy joining and being the muscle for that stable. Okay. That is two minutes. We are now officially out of the spoiler for anyone who is listening. And let's finish up here with raw talk. Um, WWE introduced a free tier of the WWE network. It's going to have a number of shows, pay-per-views, but not all of their content and not their live pay-per-views every month. But one of the new things they brought back is Raw Talk, which used to be hosted by Renee Young, as was Talking Smack. Of course, Talking Smack back in the day, the far superior of the two shows, Renee Young and Daniel Bryan. Some incredible promos on that show, some great moments. Obviously, The Miz being one of them. Paige had some great moments on that show as well. Uh, But we saw Raw Talk with Chuck, Charlie Caruso, and Samoa Joe, and I thought them as the hosts worked extremely well. What I didn't like about Raw Talk was it felt too much like Raw, and not its own show. Uh, There was too much recapping stuff that had just happened before getting to the interviews. And I know that if you watch like NBA on TNT and you know immediately they go to Chuck, Kenny, and all those guys, yes, I do realize that they show highlights of the game and then they all talk about it. But this is wrestling and you literally just watched it. I would have much preferred them to show those highlights simultaneously 
with the interviews, such as what they did during the Seth Rollins interview. So I liked Chuck and Joe together, um, but I would prefer more of a studio recap type of show with guests as opposed to an additional 20 minutes of Raw. What did you think? Yeah, yeah. I I, I like the setup that they... Smack, Smack Talk was great because it was clearly like off the set. They had their own thing and it felt so freewheeling because everybody's kind of just in this own area when you're in the when they're, they're in the ring doing stuff with the, the mic it just feels like it's more raw that, right. that that was the first part second part i don't it was too recappy i don't need a recap of just a three-hour show that i just watched um smack talk worked again because it was a two-hour show and so it didn't feel like it was going too long to have smack talk after that raw talk you know smack talk was great then they added raw talk raw talk I got, was not great said- you said it three times. I got to tell you, talking smack, not smack talk. Talking smack. <laughs> got to tell you. Talking sure. smack was great because it was two hours. And then they added raw talk and it became too much. And they ended up getting rid of talking smack. I don't need another recap after three hours of something I just watched. I think there's something. I think there's, I think they got to try something else. I like the idea of the free network and the free recap, I guess, but it's, on cable anyway raw so it's not like a pay-per-view recap so um i i think they got to retool some things i like joe though i like joe and charlie caruso doing that i just i don't want it to feel like raw i want it to feel different totally agree now let's get out of here with the new segment what's up next uh you know i will talk nxt i'll let chris talk AEW dynamite nxt the preview for the show there is really not much to it it actually feels like a total mail-in show for a go-home show which is really disappointing to me, and it's not a good omen considering it is a pay-per-view week. Not a good omen for NXT going up with AEW. All that's announced is two of those prime target video packages, one for the Adam Cole Velveteen Dream Match and another for the Triple Threat, Charlotte Flair, Rhea Ripley, and Io Shirai. There's been no mention of any of them being on the show, having segments, matches, anything like that. Um, So that just to me is incredibly disappointing right off the bat. Then you have the NXT Interim Cruiserweight Championship, that is going to be the highlight of the show, in my opinion. Uh, El Hio de, de Fantasma defending, not defending, challenging uh, Drake Maverick and the finalists of that tournament. Certainly, I think Fantasma will ultimately win, but I am interested to see what they do with the Drake Maverick character. Do they have him win in surprising fashion and keep his job? Does he lose, but does WWE in real life ultimately retain him? Or do they give him this awesome, huge push on his way out the door and make him a huge name for Impact or AEW or someone else. I'm really curious in real life to see what they do there. And then you have Candice LeRae against Mia Yim, which is a totally fine undercard match, but nothing I am looking forward to in a major way. On the other hand, Dynamite, it is a pretty stacked card, Chris. And I think, you know, I'm going to watch NXT Live because that's usually what I do. But especially on a go-home week, you know, it is important to do that. But Dynamite's pretty stacked. You have the Tag Team Championship Cody against Jungle Boy uh, and the tag team championship being defended. Kenny Omega and Hangman Page against Jimmy Havoc and Kip Sabian. Do you have any thoughts about those two matches ahead of the show? Yeah, I'm looking forward, really looking forward to Cody versus Jungle Boy. They continue to give Jungle Boy uh, a push. He he won the the Battle Royal, I think it was, last week. And and, and even though he's in a tag team, they continue to give him a singles pusher. The other side is you've got two singles guys who are the tag team champs. And I don't think I've seen these belts defended as much as I'd like the tag team belts, considering how good of a tag team division AW has and how much they want to push it. But you know, Hey, they had another one contender match to get some, some 
to set up a championship match. I'm always a fan of that. You know, it, it doesn't. Not every championship match has to have a full-on story behind it. I think AEW has generally done a good job of. Oh, somebody won something, and so now we're going to have a title match between two people who haven't interacted before. And that makes for a fun dynamic as opposed to a month of interactions before you finally get the title match. I think it's it's a good change-up. of. I'm curious how Cody and Jungle Boy are going to look together in the ring. I'm curious how the Elite will look with Jim, Jimmy Havoc and Kip Sabian and, and how that team works together. So I, I'm excited for it. And Jericho is apparently going to have a match. I don't think his opponent's been named yet. Uh, but oh, it's don't, a, yeah. don't don't jump ahead. I got more to preview here, man. But well, I, um, I don't know how much you're talking about. No, I got more to ask you about. But uh, no, I, I do think ultimately though we get retentions in both of those matches. Cody retains. Uh, Omega and Hangman Page both retain as well. It would be a really big step down in the tag team division to go from Kenny Omega and Hangman Page to Jimmy Havoc and Kip Sabian, knowing the best friends have the next title match at Fighter Fest. So keep those titles on Omega and yeah. Page, please. They're finally starting to gel as a team on screen in kayfabe. Uh, and I don't want to see anything change there. But the other two matches on the show, Chris, before you jump ahead, uh, Chris Jericho is fighting Colt Cabana coming out of the end of that Mike Tyson brawl where Cabana was trying to help Chris and he pushed him off the ring apron. And then Nyla Rose against Big Swole. In that match, Nyla Rose and Big Swole, I'm actually kind of interested to see how that looks. But Jericho Cabana, it's just weird to me that Colt Cabana is getting so much attention in TV time. It's Colt Cabana. I don't dislike him, but... He's also, they have so many other guys there. I just don't get it. Yeah, but I, I think it's fine as a, a one-off. You know, it's, it's not not everything is is building out of something else. It plays off of what happened last week. I think it makes sense in, in, in that in that world. I, I was kind of mixed on the whole Tyson Jericho thing, but, you know, uh, Colt Cabana, he's, I've enjoyed him when he's on the screen. He, you know, for a guy who's been around forever, it's, he hasn't had always the, 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 the biggest screen time on bigger national wrestling like this, so... Uh, I think it's good. I think the, I'm curious if they have any promos between the two of them because yeah, that would be great as well. And then the women's match, we talked about Nyla Rhodes against smaller women often has gone well, and, and I'm, I'm interested in how that dynamic plays out again this week. And there's also a FTR interview with Tony Schiavone that will be on that show. Interested to see that. Uh, they did, I believe, already get interviewed on Talk is Jericho and weren't very inflammatory towards WWE. So we'll see what they have to say Wednesday night on Dynamite. And don't forget, we will be back on Thursday, breaking down everything that goes down Wednesday night on NXT and AEW Dynamite. And I did not mention it to open the show, but NXT TakeOver in your house is Sunday. And you know what that means. The Silver King will be back Sunday night immediately after the show for an instant analysis podcast. Yes, a three-episode week. I thank all of you uh, for joining us and listening to this longer edition of the WWE version of Getting Over. You can follow us again on Twitter at Getting Overcast. You can follow me at Silverstein Adam, and you can follow Chris at Chris Vanini. Apple Podcast five star ratings and reviews. Drop us some DMs for the upcoming shows. You guys were very light this week. I understand. Obviously, there was a lot going on and not much to talk about regarding wrestling, but the DMs are open and you can always reply to us or tweet us as well. And we will get your voices on the air. So for Chris Vanini, this is the Silver King, Adam Silverstein. And there's one other person who wants to say something to you as well. 
Elizabeth. Come on out there, oh, man. Oh. We got something going that's oh, really big, mercy. don't we? Yeah. Look in the video scope right now and tell them about Macho Madness. Tell them how strong it is and tell them where we're going. Yeah. We into the Twilight Zone. Yeah. And Hulk Hogan's got no chance, does he? No. no. Does anybody have a chance against the Macho Man Randy no. Savage? Okay. Am I the greatest wrestler, past, present, and future that ever lived? Okay, no, say goodbye. Okay, now get out of here. Oh, right that's a little now. rough, Randy. Yeah, but it is rough. Yeah, wrestling is a rough sport. And I am the roughest one in the sport. I am the number one wrestler in the world today. Tell Hulk Hogan that. Tell I Peter will. Sanchez. I thank you, Randy Savage. See you all Thursday. Bye for now.